Do Lord, thank you for another chance to be able to share your truth, to get into the word, uh, to go into the gospel, the only truth that you've left us to be able to navigate what the enemy is trying to throw our way. We thank you for your spirit, being able to fortify us, to teach us, to confirm the truth, to empower us to walk according to the truth. We are grateful to be used in this season to be the light and the salt that you called us to be. We pray knowing that this word will go forth as a light and a lamp unto our feet and will keep us walking circumspectly according to your truth. We give you the glory and the honor and your name Christ, you shall we pray. Amen. So my question for you is, are you going to the wedding feast? I know a lot of Christians say they're going uh, they they plan on showing up. They got their ticket. But have they really asked themselves, are they going? And to go there, do we know the requirements that it takes to get there? So we're going to look at the requirements tonight. What is the wedding feast and uh, how we need to ensure that we prepare to go? But before we do that, we're going to look at when Christ talked about what the kingdom of heaven will be like as he describes a wedding banquet. In Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 1, Christ spoke to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servant to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell them that I have, they tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So, to, so the servants went out in the streets and gathered all the people they could find, all the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man that was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? Then the man, the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendees, tie him hand and foot, and throw him out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. When Christ gives this parable, he's already given more than one parable about what heaven will be like. And he talks about a banquet where invitations are sent out to individuals who were initially deserving. They were invited. But because they were so focused on things that they had in their own personal lives, the fields and their businesses and obviously other things, they became an undeserving servant. And you even had the ones who thought it necessary to mistreat and kill the messengers. And the king was enraged by this. The people who doesn't, who, who say they believe in Christ today, yet they're not preparing themselves for the wedding banquet. They are actually those servants who are undeserving. 
While they may not be killing or mistreating the messengers, they are, however, are concerned about whatever is going on in their personal life. When you look at the story of the wedding banquet and how it relates to the Jewish culture, when Christ explains this parable, he's talking about a time when the bridegroom would meet with the bride and they would come with an agreement of what is expected between the two. And that agreement will be signed. But before they get married, there's a there's a period between the engagement and the wedding. And they what happens is that families separate and the bridegroom prepares all the things for the ceremony. He makes sure that the house is together, where they're going to get married, all these different uh, things are set up by the, the, the groom, who's all invited, and in the particulars regarding the ceremony. The bride simply prepares herself for the wedding, and she makes sure that her gown is properly cleaned and that she is dressed well and she stays ready. Because what happens is when the wedding takes place, it's not up to the bridegroom or the bride. In Jewish culture, it's up to the father of the bridegroom. And he is the one that decides when they'll actually get married. And when they do this, this typically comes at a time it's not expected. He'll say, okay, now it's time for you to go get your bride. And when we look at how this relates to us as believers in Christ, we are the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. And our responsibility as we wait on the father to send back the bridegroom is to make sure we are dressed and ready to go because we don't know when the father is going to send him out to come get his people, to start the wedding banquet, the feast. And because of the extended amount of time when Christ initially said this, many Christians have got to a place to say, where is Christ? Where is the one that you said is supposed to be coming? The Bible even talks about that they will get to a place to say that all things continue the same since our fathers went to sleep, since their fathers passed away. And they would lose hope or lose faith that he's coming and venture off into whatever life or mentality they want and not prepare themselves. And this is what we see today. And so many have gotten so far from actually walking as we should in the faith that we don't even look as if we believe in Christ. We've we've learned to say his name repeatedly and show up for different church services and events even open up our Bible, but we're not adorned or dressed in the attire for the wedding banquet. And this is that individual that Christ referenced who showed up at the wedding banquet who didn't have on the the attire for the occasion. He wasn't ready for the event. He was dressed in some other wardrobe. And because he appeared and not being ready, they ordered, the king ordered his uh, guests to take this person outside. They're not prepared. And notice that nowhere in there it says that he had an opportunity to go back and get dressed. He had he was not ready when the time came and he was not able to go in. And this is also talked about in Revelation. 
And Christ says in Revelations chapter 16, verse 15, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he's talking about, again, the garments, the wedding banquet garments being prepared and not being exposed. And you even find this teaching or this uh, revelation given in more detail in Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to start off at verse one, where Christ tells John that after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So this is in correlation to what Christ is saying about those who should have come and they didn't want to come and they killed his servants. And he's going to avenge them in Revelation. In verse three says, again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And this is talking about uh, the lake of fire burning continuously, that, that torment. And the next verse, he says, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down, worship and worship God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as a sound of a mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arraigned and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So if you ever ask yourself, what is actually the wedding banquet attire? What clothes are we supposed to put on? It says it's the righteous acts of the saints. And when we come into the faith, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. We now have the right to be arraigned, to be adorned in the attire that is for the wedding banquet, which is everlasting peace with the Messiah. Many people say, well, you know, you don't have to do anything because you believed. And, you know, grace through faith, it's how you're saved, not by works, which is absolutely correct. You don't need to have works to be saved. However, the Lord is very concerned about what we do after we become saved. I've heard many people try to pawn off the fact that those that end up in everlasting contempt are those who never were truly saved or those who never even came into the faith, never attempted to come. But understand this to be very true. Every teaching and every parable and prophecy that is given was made known to the people of God. Were there Pharisees around and Christ addressed them? Yes, they were. Did he talk to uh, other people who were had no clue about the Messiah, like the Samaritan woman? Of course. But when he makes these truths known about walking according to him, 
taking up their, your cross and following him. These truths are made known to his people. And in verse nine, it says, and then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. It's a blessing if you're called, because if you're called, you have an opportunity to show up at the marriage supper at a place of complete peace and harmony and victory. And in Revelations, and going back to Revelations chapter 16, there are seven bowls of God's wrath that's going to be released on the earth. And it's going to be a very, very dark time for the people who refuse to have Christ reign over them. And after he explains these six bowls, he go before he gets to the seventh bowl, he says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keep his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. If we don't walk in the will of God, being obedient, then we will be exposed. And that exposure is going to leave us subjected to the wrath that God's going to send on the earth. And it's going to be a very dark time. Many people are going to suffer. And unfortunately, that's the path a lot of people want to take because they refuse to believe the truth and be saved. Many Christians are compromising their faith. They're compromising. I see ministers compromise the gospel all the time because they want to appease the crowd rather than do the will of God. The Bible says that they rather the praises of men than the praises of God. And it goes back to when Christ told them entering through the narrow gate, because in the through the narrow gate, that pathway is a total denial of self. There is no room for your, our dreams and aspirations and goals, personal feelings, unforgiveness, hatred, a lack of repentance. That narrow gate only fits the way of the gospel, repentance and remission of sins. And when we get to this mentality that we come to a place of truly walking as the Father has called us to walk. And that should be every goal, a goal of every believer. Because here's the problem with adding your perspective, what you think. At the end of the day, it's pride. It's a lack of humility. That's all it is. It's not, you know, well, I just got some things I want to do. You know, God gave me this time. Why should I spend all of it worshiping him and serving him? Shouldn't I live you know, he did say give 10%, and I've heard that a lot. <laughs> I understood that wrong, like many people when I was growing up. That 10%, it wasn't just your tithe, it was your time. Only give God 10, at least give him your first 10%. But I, that's nowhere in the Bible. He's asking us to give 100%. How could we spend eternity with him if we only have 10% of our heart for him? And most of the time, that's 10% of what's convenient. It's not a that's not ten percent that we really need to sacrifice. You know, I saw a post the other day of a gentleman addressing the LGBT community, and he said, "You know, the church has not done a good job at handling the LGBT community." And he actually used that phrase, "LGTB community," and he said, "We have to do a better job at loving people." But the truth is. There is no such thing as an LGBT community in God's eyes. It's either we are children of Satan or we're his children. We're either children of obedience or children of disobedience. If we're going to say there's an LGBT community, then we should say there's an adultery community 
It was a robbing community, a stealing community, a, a, a backslidden community. But I, I sadly, I see people conform to trying to make sure they address the world in a way that they're not offended so they can ease the gospel into their life. However, Christ said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to tell them plainly, away from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. The Bible also tells us that he says, that, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And he even goes on to tell us that everybody who says Lord will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my father. More and more, I, I see people becoming ashamed to say the name of Christ, to speak his unadulterated word, to profess the true gospel because they're worried about what it looks like to the politically correct society of today. Everything from voting to how churches function to what they say in schools, they don't want to really say what needs to be said. But at the end of the day, those are the righteous acts that clothe us for the wedding banquet. But know that we are definitely living in prophetic time. Nothing that I share is new. This is not something that wasn't foretold to happen. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. So Paul is telling us when these people say, you know, I, I just want to live this twisted sexual lifestyle because that's who I am or you know, or maybe I was treated a certain way when I was a child. That's why, you know, I gravitated toward his life. Paul's saying that what was known of God was manifested in them. God showed it to them, which means that there will not be a single human being to walk this earth that don't know that there are actual, they're, they're actually a, a male, a natural born male or a naturally born female. You can't say, well, I didn't know adultery is not a sin. I didn't know I shouldn't have stolen or, or or lied or whatever the case may be, because God is righteous. He's holy and pure. So what is right, he's already made that known to us. So we're not left in the wind with what we ought to do. And verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his visible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because they, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is why people accept a life that is inconsistent with the creation that God has designed for man and woman because their hearts became darkened. Their thoughts became futile. In verse 22, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So they not only use a, a corruptible fleshly human as a image that they worship, but even some bird or animal that they decide to make their, their God. In verse 24, it says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the cre cre 
the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It says, God handed them over to their sick thoughts in their head. The same thoughts many of us get. But the reason they got handed over, because they rejected God. In verse 26, he said, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of a woman burned in their lust for another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. This is why we see the whole gender issue today. This, uh, I need to have surgery done so I can become a different person. Um, they, they have this mindset that is, you know, it's destroyed because they don't want God in their life. They want to live according to how they want to live. They don't want to humble themselves and be holy, serve him. In verse 28, and even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmercy, who, knowing the righteous judgments of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. We have a lot of preachers today who fit this category. They have these gay churches that say it's okay. God still loves you. All things come from him. So I, so gayness and homosexuality and transgender and all these different uh, alphabets come from him. So that means it's okay to live this way. But even in all this satanic worship, the truth was already made known to them before they crossed over and God gave them over to the dark side. But these are the acts. These are the ways that will have people exposed and their shame seen by all when that wedding feast takes place, when the wedding banquet happens. We as believers who have a conviction inside of us because we're not, we're not given over to a debased mind have to ensure that we continue to walk in the righteous acts. It goes beyond the cross saying, I believe in the Messiah that he died and rose again on the third day. That is the beginning of our walk in the righteous acts that prepares us for the wedding banquet. We are to declare his name among the heathen, and we are to continue in the unadulterated word. Christ said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words before this wicked and adulterous generation, he said, of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father and his angels. This is a message sent to the people of, of the most high God, the Christians, the disciples, the followers. It is not a message to the world. As we look at the world and what's going on today, the political uproar, wars, the continued rises of food and gas, people without heat, sicknesses, deaths, raging seas, signs in the skies, 
We are literally at the door of the return of Christ. And we should ask ourselves, are we clothed? Are we fully dressed, not laying down in our underwear, watching TV, hanging out with our friends, socializing, doing things that are not building our walk with Christ? But are we prepared? Because when he comes, he's coming like a thief. And I don't know if you've ever been robbed before. Anybody ever broke into your house or your car or held you up at gunpoint with a knife? But a thief is slick. A thief watches what you do. Most thieves are, are, are spying. They're casing the joint. And they're looking for the right opportunity to catch you slipping so they can come in and grab what they want and get out. Many Christians are caught slipping right now because you're so tied to the things of this world. Many are worried about politics. They're worried about the inflation that's going on. You're weighed down with the problems of life. And this is a perfect time for a thief to come in and snatch and take. But the difference between the thief of Christ and a thief that we probably have experienced or know about in this world, he's not coming for people who aren't ready. He's not coming for people who are distracted. He's coming for those that are watchful, that are continually praying, that are walking according to the will of the Father. Everyone else will be left to deal with the worst time in history, the worst and final time that will devastate every wicked person, every adversary of God. So we need to make sure we're clothed and that we're walking according to the truth. Don't believe the hype. It's a lot of hype out there today, I'm telling you. I was talking to some individuals here recently. They were telling me that we need to fight for a church and state union. This is a godly nation, and we need to get back to being such, put God back in our schools, put him back in our courthouses, in our military. And I have to tell people, you've been hoodwinked. This was never a godly nation. We've learned and practiced godly rituals and routine, but as a nation, from the start to this present day, it was never a nation started by God. And the way you know that is through history. The Puritans who came here trying to escape the persecution that was coming against Christians, they were the ones who actually killed the first Native Americans. They called themselves pilgrims and said that we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving because we sat down and ate and they taught us some things and we enjoy this partnership. But that's not what actually happened. That's what we were told and what was written in the history books. But the truth is they massacred these people and then they cultivated a land. It's called America. And they brought in this religion called Christianity that doesn't even match the Jewish culture. It doesn't match anything that Christ talked about when he spoke to the people of Galilee. It matches a facade that was twisted around to make people think they're following the Messiah. And they were asked themselves, how did a man come from Galilee end up with a name called Jesus? They say, well, that's the English version. No, it's not. That's the name the Anglo-Saxons came up with who wrote the English language. Hebrew, his name is Yahushua, Y-A-H-U-S-H-A. And that, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's, it's okay. We don't have to call him by his by that name. We can call him Jesus. Why would we call him that if, if he didn't come from uh, Spain or Mexico, which is the origin of the name Jesus? a Spanish name. 
But those are just some of the things that we don't know and we don't look at and we find ourselves walking according to because the enemy has been very good at deceiving a lot of people, such as what he's done today. Many people are fighting for justice in courthouses um, for religious purposes, freedom of religion and things of such. But nowhere is that found in the New Testament scripture. They will say that, you know, we ought to fight for freedom of religion because it is the Christian thing to do. Well, if that was a Christian thing to do, then how come Christ nor the apostles showed us how to showed us how to do it? Because it wasn't the thing we're supposed to do. He said, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I commanded. And surely I will be with you even to the end of the age. But yet those who said they were Christians, the most holiest people of their era, at least what they called themselves, came here and killed Native Americans instead of making disciples. So the root, we've come in this faith unclothed. This is why I firmly believe the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Take that time for yourself, because when it's all said and done on Judgment Day, there won't be any preacher or parent, elder or deacon that can intercede or mediate or be our advocate in the courtroom. It's only going to be us, and we'll have to give an account for what we did about what we knew. And if we seek him with all our heart, if we go after his truth, he'll make it known to us. Just as when I had a dream several months back of a demon attacking me, seizing me up in my dream, and I couldn't get free. And I was trying to say Jesus, but I couldn't. And I heard a voice say, don't call him Jesus, call him Yahushua. Now, I had never heard that before. I've heard of other names, but I didn't hear that name. And I could have conjured that up in my brain if I wanted to. And that was giving me knowledge because I am seeking him. I want to know who he really is. What is his real name? What culture or what references of culture is he talking about when he says the wedding banquet, the talents, the wise versions and foolish versions? And he'll make that truth known to us if we really want to know it. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all without finding fault. Why? Because the last thing he wants is you to be able to stand up in front of him and say, well, I didn't know. He said, well, you never asked either because he made it known. So as we see these times getting darker, the enemies doing exactly what Christ said he would do, deceive masses, let's ensure that we're walking according to the truth, taking the time to do the research. The internet is the most wicked thing on the planet today. They can throw all kinds of satanic stuff at you at a, at a push of a button. But the benefit to the internet is that we can get information about the Bible and how we ought to walk in the scriptures instantly. We don't have to go to a library or order a book. We can get it right in front of us. Obviously, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to help you discern what you see, but it's a benefit to us that we can take advantage of to grow and know more. But even know, know this to be true. If the internet shuts out, that's not going to stop God from giving you knowledge, understanding, and insight. He's not limited to anything man's created. However, just like Christ was able to make a whip and whoop them people out of church selling in, in God's house, we can use this internet for our benefit as well. So let's be obedient. Keep our garments on. Stay awake, be watchful, be ready, 
even if it don't happen in the next 10 years, that's not what we're looking for. We're watching how we carry ourselves and we're staying in the word and in prayer. Be encouraged, keep God first, and don't let the enemy deceive you with those appealing yet worthless things. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for giving us a word of encouragement, a strong word of empowerment to be able to lead us in the righteous way that you commanded us. We thank you that there is a wedding banquet available for all those who are willing to come. We pray that they will be, that we will continue to be obedient and that we will keep clothed in the righteous acts, fearlessly being led by the Holy Spirit to do all that you commanded us to do. We give you the glory and the honor. In your name, Yahushua, the Messiah, we pray. Amen.